Next message. Hey, Steve, it's uh, Brandon. Uh, I'm leaving out to go to ADAC in the morning at 6 o'clock, so you might be able to come visit me one day over there, but just letting you know that I'm leaving here and going over there. But, yeah, call me when you can. Well, I'll call you back sooner later on tonight. <laughs> Bye. Yep, that's me. That's who I'm talking about. I'm talking about myself. I cannot get it right. I cannot figure it out. What the fuck is wrong? God, I keep fucking up. That's the shit that goes on in my head. Non-fucking-stop. I should not feel this way after trying so hard. Seven years of working on myself. Seven years of recovery. Seven years of fucking working on all the bullshit. Has led me to my breaking point. I'm fucking here. Here we are, doggy. This this is probably going to be a dull episode. This is probably going to be a fucking woe is me pity party. Because that's the shit that's going on in my head. That's where I'm at. About a year ago, we joked on this podcast about how the student was becoming the teacher. Well, I got fucking news for you people. It has happened. It's not a joke anymore. The student is the teacher. My dog, Brandon, took it upon himself to check into detox. We're going to have tons of episodes about it coming up in the near future. I just wanted to update you guys on that. He hit me up out of the blue. He said, hey, I'm on my way. I'm on my way to detox. I was like, what? No shit. He did it. He fucking did it. He talked about it on here. He talked about it with me privately. Uh, But he did it on his own. There was no uh, no persuasion done by me. He 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 walked in and did it did it on his own. Holy fuck! There's a oh, a bee on me. That's great. Um, he yeah. So he uh he checked in. He did about a week at the detox, and they transferred him to a two week long treatment center, where he is getting ready to complete that. I believe in a couple of days. By the time this podcast is out, he will have completed it. And he's going to be moving to a long-term care facility, like a 10-week aftercare program. I had a chance to go visit with him a couple days ago. That may become an episode. I don't know. We had to be very strategic with the way that we recorded. They didn't let me bring my phone in. They didn't let me bring anything in besides my car keys and my ID. However, I hit that record button on my watch. 
doesn't sound the greatest. It sounds terrible, so I'm going to try to chop it up and do what I can with it. He's supposed to call me today within the next couple hours, and he wanted to record an episode. But he wanted me to let you guys know that he's doing well. I'm very proud of him. He looked probably the best I've seen since the day that I met him. Um, yeah, he's just fucking cleaning himself up. He's, I'm proud of him, you know. A little bit of influence, I'm sure, by the judicial system as he has a court date coming up. But hey, whatever it takes, whatever it takes to get there. Lord knows I'm not there. I fucking need to be in that motherfucker. When I walked into that treatment center two nights ago, I didn't want to leave. I wanted to stay. I had to go, I had to show up like an hour before visitation and do like a little orientation thing. It's where they like brief family members on addiction and kind of what to expect and what kind of treatment they're getting and that sort of thing. At the end of the orientation, I wanted to raise my hand and ask the guy, hey, can I just stay here? Because <laughs> that's how fucked up I am right now. So we're going to get into it. Thank you guys so much. He was stoked to hear all the positive feedback. I read him some of the emails that you guys had sent in, some of the encouraging words and stuff. If you have anything to tell him, anything encouraging, anything you feel like he could hear, go ahead and send it to notgpod at gmail.com. I'm getting everything to him. Everything I received, I shared with him. So thank you guys for doing that. And since we're speaking of uh, the, the email, I just wanted to let the the new listeners know that I never had the email logged in on my cell phone, and I thought I did. So all these months, I hadn't been getting any of the emails. It was only signed in on my laptop, which I was checking regularly before I moved into the van back in April. So I logged in to share the most recent emails with him when I went to go visit, and I found a few emails from Spotify who wrote to inform me that they discovered copyright violations on three of our podcasts and they removed three of our podcasts. So if you're new and you're wondering why the podcast didn't go in a numerical order, that was because Spotify removed three of the episodes. So I'm going to go, I'm going to try, I'm going to try to find the energy within myself to go back to those episodes, remove the music and get those babies reposted for you guys. Just because, uh, yeah, I just, I want that shit up there. I want to be able to hear it. I want to be able to go back and, and listen to some of this shit. So I got, I'm going to get those babies back up to you. One day, if I ever, if I ever begin to start feeling better. So let's get into this shit. I got a lot to share with you. I'm not a huge fan of doing solo episodes, but I'm forcing myself to do them until my dog is back out of care. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I might not have the same energy that I have when I'm talking to someone else. Uh, I definitely won't sound as positive. I'm definitely not going to be as upbeat. Um, This is some serious shit I'm going to get into today. Uh, Shit that's been bothering me for 39 years or maybe a little less but shit that's been fucking with me for 39 years and it's mostly shit that's just in my head man it's 90 percent shit in my head i'm also gonna maybe start recording some shit in my travels with some people that i run into if i can again find the energy to sit down and record but first of all find the uh find it within myself to 
talk to people, to open up to my neighbors and the people that I'm running into on the road because I really like keep to myself and don't have a whole lot to say to people that I bump into. Um, yeah, just not, it's just not something. I did sit down with uh, one of my best friends, Carter, uh, last week, and that's going to be an episode that will be uploaded in the next few weeks. <laughs> He's a child, so it's going to be fun. It was a lot of fun. Y'all are going to be shocked by the shit that this kid has to say, so... Whew, y'all ready to get into it? So over the last two or three months, I have begun investigating the therapeutic value of psychedelics. I've taken acid twice, and I am going down to the beach this coming weekend to celebrate Shroom Fest and take mushrooms. Uh, And I wanted to talk about my two acid trips with you guys and kind of share what came out of them. The first time I did it, uh, well, back up, both times that I did it, I was by myself, just me and the dog in the van at a campsite. The first time I did it was in the beginning of June, and it was a it it, it was a pretty um pretty wild experience. It had been twenty years since the last time I took acid. The last time was nineteen ninety nine. I was a very young man. It, that back then it was pretty crazy, but um, there was no, there was no, uh, there was no intention behind it. And these few times I've done it recently, there was a, a whole lot more effort put into um, learning about myself and learning about why I behave, why I think, why I act the way that I do. The first trip. In June, it was very surface level. Um, I got a lot out of it. It opened me up to um, the wholeness of the world and this of this wild world that we lived in. It opened me up to a lot of the, the synchronicities that we don't necessarily see in our daily lives that we really have to slow down and connect into the present moment with to, to see and, and, and relate to. But it was very surface level. I got some shit out of it, but it, it was pretty surface level. I waited about a month and a half, and I did the uh, same sort of thing. The second time around, I came out of it being able to connect a lot of dots, dating back to my childhood on different things that I experienced and um, how they influenced the person that I am today. You know, all these years of recovery, I had never been able to, I haven't had a good memory. Like I don't remember, I don't have a lot of childhood memories. I just don't, I can't like go back to that point in my life and and relive or remember these things that happened to me. I'll be talking to my sister or somebody that I love and they'll be like, Hey, do you remember when this happened? And it's like, no, I I fucking don't. I, I don't. But this most recent trip definitely connected some dots to my childhood that I want to share with you guys. I can remember in school and in different recovery circles that I've run over the years. And most recently with Brandon, um, everyone wants to talk about uh, your ACE score, your, uh, 
your adversarial childhood experiences? It's like a little 10 or 15 question uh, survey that'll tell you like what kind of traumas and stuff that you went through as a child. And I can remember doing that test in the classroom or taking that little little quiz in the classroom. And I scored very low at that time. Um, I didn't really connect anything in my childhood as I didn't really relate anything that happened to me in my childhood as trauma that I dealt with still to this day. I just didn't. Well, coming out of this acid trip, it opened my perspective <laughs> to something pretty big. It's pretty significant that happened to me in 1988 as a six-year-old boy. I think I was in kindergarten and my mom had kept me home from school because because I was sick and all day long I had been bugging her to go outside and play on our little playground. We had a little swing set playground gimmick in the backyard and I had been bugging her. Can I take me outside? Take me outside. I want to play. I want to play. And she was trying to do like, you know, basic housewife shit, cleaning and specifically remember her mopping at that at the time that this happened it's fucking crazy dude this is fucking crazy it's crazy that it happened and then it's crazy that i was able to connect these dots with like further shit so she had told me no like two or three times about going outside and i remember she was in the back bathroom like the master bathroom connected to my parents master bedroom she was back there mopping or cleaning the shower, doing some shit, and I was sitting on the couch in our living room, and I was looking out the window. I was just, like, daydreaming out the window, wishing that I could go outside and play. That's all I wanted to do. I don't know how much time had passed, and I was just sitting there gazing out the window. Before I know it, I see three police officers run across my front yard with long rifles and jump over my fence into my backyard. Well, as soon as I saw that happen, I ran back to the back bathroom, which was actually in the direction of the the direction of the house towards where the officers went. And I told my mom, "Hey, I just saw three cops run across the across the yard and jump into our jumping into jump over the fence into our backyard and she was like no 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 there's that you know you're just she thought I was fibbing because I wanted to go outside so bad she thought I had made up a story because I had all day long I had been bugging her about going outside I don't really recall everything that took place that day so but this this memory came up during my trip. And it's not something that I think about all the time. It's not something that I ever really thought before taking this acid last week. It's not something that I ever really thought affected my life. It was just like something that happened. So came out of the trip. I had this experience thinking about it. I came out of the trip and I wanted to investigate this situation further because I don't really... I don't really recall specifically what happened. So I went on to uh, newspapers.com and I found the newspaper article on the specific situation that happened. 
It is. Let me try to pull it up. I don't, hold on a second. Old time, old guy time. I gotta get my glasses. Let me get my glasses so I can read this shit. I'm just gonna read you guys the news article from the Tampa Tribune. Yeah, so it did happen on a Friday. It's dated Saturday, June fourth, nineteen eighty-eight, and that would put me at six years old. So. The title of the article says, Gunman Dies in Wild Shootout. A bank robbery suspect died late Friday from wounds he received after being shot at by two citizens following the afternoon holdup in South Tampa. The craziest part about this shit is that this is like a really nice middle-class neighborhood. It's actually, nowadays, it's probably an upper-class neighborhood. But it's a really nice um middle-class neighborhood shit like this just did not happen this is the wildest shit that ever happened in my childhood we didn't get action like this on a regular basis like we grew up pretty fortunate so um a chiropractor pursued the 28 year old suspect from the bank parking lot chasing him and a pregnant woman police say was his girlfriend slash accomplice The suspect ran a traffic light, striking two cars before his vehicle came to rest at a residential area. The chiropractor arrived seconds later, exchanging gunfire with the suspect and was aided when one other motorist also began firing at the suspects. That's some real Florida shit right there. The fucking dude robbed the bank. The fucking dude robbed the bank. And it came out later that his pregnant girlfriend actually was not an accomplice. Um, This was just the day after this shit happened. So she was unaware that he was even robbing the bank. The motherfucker told her to, hey, I'm going to run inside the bank real quick and make a withdrawal. And he went inside the bank and robbed it. So she didn't know. She didn't actually know that he was robbing the bank. Um, But yeah, some Florida shit. The fucking dude, the fucking dude robbed the bank. The chiropractor whose office was next door to the bank saw the shit happen, was fucking packing, and he went after the suspect. The suspect crashed the car and got into a shootout with the chiropractor. Then another fucking citizen stopped and started shooting at the fucking at the suspect too, right? Everybody's packing in Florida, baby. All right. Authorities said John Thomas Bartholomew, 28, died of his wounds around 10.30 p.m. at St. Joseph's Hospital. Chiropractor Robert A. Densmore was struck twice in the shoulder by the suspect's bullets as the two fired shots at each other on the corner of Lois and Morrison Avenues. That's where my house is. That was our house. We were at 4203 Morrison Avenue. Densmore, a former law enforcement officer, was undergoing surgery late Friday at Tampa General Hospital. His family requested the hospital not release information on his conditions. Diane Sue Cardiff, the girlfriend, 21, was wounded in the right side of her face and in the right shoulder. Cardiff was in critical condition at Tampa General Hospital late Friday. Nurses said she is nine months pregnant and the fetus was apparently unharmed. Bartholomew was hit at least twice in the upper back, police said. Cardiff was charged with armed robbery and attempted first-degree murder. Neither of the two drivers whose cars were smashed by the suspect's car was injured. Police and witnesses gave this account. A man wearing a stocking over his head and waving a forty-five caliber 
I'm sorry I can't read this shit. I took a screenshot from this fucking website, and it's just, like, blurry as shit. It's hard to read. Um, let's see. A man wearing a stocking over his head and waving a 45 caliber automatic pistol walked into the Southeast Bank branch at 1155 South Delmarie Highway around 2.50 p.m. The robber stood in the middle of the bank and told employees, no one's going to get hurt, I just want all the money. He vaulted onto the counter and announced this is a bank robbery. <laughs> it's just like the fucking movies. The three tellers stuffed his blue and white vinyl bag with cash and he ran from the bank. As the suspect bolted out the door, Densmore, the chiropractor, whose practice is next door to the bank, was held to his was headed to his office and saw the man. Brenda Voss, manager of Nutrisystems on the east side of Palms Plaza. The fuck? On the east side of Palms Plaza Shopping Center, went to the bank and discovered the robbery. She said Densmore pulled up near the bank in a blue car, ran to her and asked, was the bank just robbed? I said yes, and he said, I saw him. I've got to go get him. The uh, forest, service, forest Service people just drove by and I waved at them. Maybe they'll do a podcast with me. Fuck, this is blurry. I'm not going to hardly be able to read this. I said yes, and... And he said, I saw him. I've got to go get them. Voss said Densmore sped after the suspect. Densmore, a former Tampa police officer and Hillsborough Sheriff's sergeant, followed the suspect's white Camaro headed west on Morrison Avenue and telephoned police on his mobile cellular telephone. Who the fuck was carrying a mobile cell phone in 1988? About one half mile from the bank, the Camaro ran a red light at Morrison and Lois Avenue. It crashed into a Volkswagen, which slammed into a Mercedes. Densmore pulled up seconds later and parked in a driveway on the northeast corner, about 30 feet from the pileup. Densmore, carrying a 9mm semi-automatic pistol, and the robbery suspect emerged from their cars and began shooting in the intersection. It was not immediately known who fired first or who was struck first by bullets. The pregnant woman remained in the passenger seat as the two men exchanged shots. At least two bullets hit the Camaro's windshield and another bullet hit the front wall of a duplex. The wounded suspect ran west on Morrison. Densmore... Can't see that word. Densmore, hampered by a shoulder wound, shouted at the driver of the Mercedes that the two had just robbed a bank. The driver, who police would not identify, quickly pulled his own 9mm pistol from his car and fired once at the suspect and woman. It was not known whether his bullet struck either of them. Another driver in a station wagon saw the two running and swerved at them, clipping the man and knocking the gun and bag of money to the ground. Both suspects kept running. The pair made their way through the rear yard of a house on Beach Park Avenue and scaled a six-foot-high wooden fence, doubling back into the rear of a house on Morrison Avenue. That was my house. Tammy Steen, 28, that is my mother, said she was in her home at 4203 West Morrison when her young son, me, came in and told her a police officer with a shotgun was looking at their car parked in the front driveway. 
She glanced out a front window and saw three or four officers with guns drawn racing into her backyard. She ran to her rear door and spot, and I was following her around. Like she's looking out the window and I'm fucking right behind her looking out the window. She ran to her. So I saw all this shit. She ran to her rear door and spotted more officers climbing over a neighbor's wooden fence and her own four foot high concrete block fence. The two fences are parallel. So the neighbor, my back neighbor had a six foot privacy fence and then we had a four foot tall uh, cinder block concrete fence made out of cinder blocks. Uh, Steen said she looked to her left and saw a pregnant woman covered in blood, kneeling in the grass and crying. Her maternity smock was covered with blood. A man was about 10 feet away, laying face down. He was bleeding profusely from a wound on the back of the neck, she said. Within seconds, police surrounded the two. Steen said she could hear the woman sobbing and telling police, I didn't know what he was doing. I didn't know what he was doing. That's why I'm I'm almost positive because like I said this was written the next day. I'm almost positive that the woman did not she got off. She beat the charges. The wounded man the wounded man never got off the ground, Steen said, but kept kicking his legs and thrashing wildly in the dirt as police administered first aid. Police escorted the woman through a side gate into the front yard where she sat on the grass until an ambulance arrived. Steen said Incredibly, this very pregnant, very wounded woman made it over those two fences, said Steen, who took her three young children to a neighbor's house after the ordeal. We were all very shaken, Steen said. It was incredible. Yeah, it was fucking incredible, okay, Mom? (laughs) It was incredible. It's still fucking me up. And, you know, we're going to get into exactly why, because this is just the story, but we're going to get into exactly, like, where this led to. Police said no charges will be filed against Dinsmore. He was honoring his rights as a citizen to protect his life. Hmm. Yeah, that's about it. The rest of it just goes into who this fucking Dinsmore guy was and talks about how he... Uh, oh, hold on. The suspect and his girlfriend both had criminal records, police said. Barthel- Bartholomew had been arrested numerous times beginning in 1973 for armed robbery, burglary, and other offenses, police said. He served nearly five years in state prison. Cardiff was arrested in 1986 on charges of possession of marijuana with intent to deliver. Friday's shootings comes on the heels of a debate over citizen gun control. They were talking about gun control back in 1988. So that's that's basically the shit that happened, right? And um, the fucking dude, the fucking, in this really nice neighborhood, the fucking dude robbed a bank. He pulled into the bank, did not tell his pregnant girlfriend that he was going inside to rob it. Robbed the bank, a bystander with a firearm chased them they crashed at the corner of intersection of my house of my childhood home and got into a shootout both suspects ended up in my backyard where one of them eventually died i thought see i recall before reading the news story i recall that the police killed him well apparently in the article it said that he died of the two shots in the uh by the from the chiropractor so it wasn't long after that that so that was my first like outside of like childhood pets and I don't even know if we had any pets that actually died but that was my first like upfront confrontation with death that was my shirt my first like face to face like oh it fucking ends bro and it doesn't you don't decide when it ends about a year after this happened I can remember 
my dad, I don't, re- I don't remember the details and I should have talked to them about it, but I can remember my dad coming home from the hospital because my mom and my sister had both been in a horrible car accident, terrible car accident. And me and my brother did not go to the hospital at least that first day. It was it was such a serious car accident that they didn't they didn't know if both my mom or my sister would survive it. And so my dad did not bring me and my brother to the hospital. He only went himself and I believe my my grandparents watched me and my brother while he was at the hospital. But I can vividly remember my dad coming home from the hospital that first night sitting And this was just like a year later because this was 1988. My sister was one year old when the bank robbery happened. My sister was two years old when the car accident happened. So it was just like a year, maybe a year and a half later. And I can vividly remember my dad sitting my brother and myself on his lap and trying to explain to us that there was a possibility that both my mom and my sister would not be coming home, that they could die. Like the, 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 the prognosis was not good for either one of them. My sister, she was two years old. She had significant uh, head trauma. And my mom had like a lot of internal trauma, um, broken bones and, and, you know, organ damage and shit like that. So I can just remember him sitting us down and saying that. And that's when it fucking hit me that like, oh shit. Like I up until that point, I was okay with death, but I wasn't okay with the uncertainty of when it happens. I wasn't okay with like, boom, it just hap- It can just happen out of nowhere that these fucking things can happen to people. Tragedies just happen to people and people fucking die. I, I just, I couldn't do it. I wasn't there. So... That instilled a a major anxiety, severe fear of death, of not knowing when it was going to happen. Scared to death. Scared to death of death. Well, not long after that happened, because of this crippling anxiety that I was carrying surrounding death, I began looking at my own immediate family members and my seven or eight year old self, I could not heard a noise. I could not for the life of me wrap my head around on both sides of my family, on my dad's side of the family and on my mom's side of the family, both my dad and my mom both have a sister that is Never married, no kids. And so I began to look at my family members, and for the life of me, I couldn't wrap my head around why my both of my aunts had never been married and were single. I had this, I was carrying with me this enormous fear of death, and I couldn't figure out why. Both aunts were never married and no kids. They didn't have immediate family members. So it turned into a fear of dying alone. Okay? I started with the fear of death. 
And then I began to look at my aunt and they were not married and no kids. And it turned into a fear of dying alone. That became the number one focus of my life to not die alone. Like, I just want somebody to be with me. I just want somebody to hold my fucking hand. Now, in recovery, specifically in this Buddhist recovery shit that I did for five years, uh, did a lot of work surrounding death. So I don't have like a, I no longer live with that fear of death, but I do live with the fear of dying alone. I still fucking live with it. That shit came right to the surface during this second acid trip. It came right to the surface. So, like the good little addict that I am, instead of like doing the things to pursue the life that I wanted, a wife, a kids, a family, I lashed out. And I just dove into drugs and alcohol. I sought out, and still do, seek out emotionally unavailable partners. Like, I want this thing. I want this certain lifestyle. I want this family life shit. I want to be a dad. I want to raise children. I want to be a fucking somebody that my kids look up to. I want to be a good father. But I live a life that is not congruent with that goal. I live a lifestyle that will never achieve that. I mean, I live in a fucking tiny little van in the woods, right? I don't talk to people. I avoid humanity. I don't pursue people. I don't put myself out there. I refuse to be vulnerable. I allow people to just fucking walk all over me, right? I allow people to just shit on my fucking boundaries. I know how to set boundaries very well. I'm an effective communicator. I can effectively communicate my boundaries to somebody else. And this isn't specifically romantic relationships because it happens in in my personal friendships and relationships as well. But I just fucking let people just walk all over me and shit on me. And there's a bunch of other things that happened um, relationships-wise, surrounding the opposite sex like my parents divorce and my uh you know high school sweetheart and all that shit that just like put me down a path of like seeking out people that don't have the same goals that I did I mean let's see seven six 14 years two different relationships totaling 14 years I dated women that did not want kids period not an option not an option And I was on board with it. I was all go, right? What the fuck? Who does that, you know? And then now in recovery, it's happened to me two or three times where I fucking think I'm in a good enough place to put myself out there in a healthy way. I attempt to be vulnerable. I communicate my boundaries to this person. And then they shit on me. And I'm not talking about, like, cheating or whatever. I'm just talking about, like, they just clearly see my boundaries and fucking walk all over it and want to continue to drag this bullshit out. And I just fucking let them do it. I just continue on. Here we go. So I connected all of these dots last week, and I decided that it, may be beneficial to 
try out some other 12-step programs. And since then, I have gone to two Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous meetings. And holy fuck, what these people are talking about is the exact relational problems that I deal with. I need to be taught how to hold true to my boundaries. I need to be taught how not to allow people to just walk all over me. And I don't fucking, I have no clue. Because every single time, I'm like, I'm not going to let this happen. I'm not going to end up in the same place that I am. And here I am right now, fucking smack dab in the middle of it. You know, just allowing people to take advantage of me. Crying about it. And then as soon as I they hit me up, I'm a fucking sucker again. And I'm right back to Mr. Fucking Nice Guy, just letting him just fucking do it. Letting him do it. It's the most fucked up thing. And I, I can't. It's like, it's it's the worst addiction that I've ever fucking dealt with. It really is. And I was like, SLAA, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. Like, you hear about, you hear about the celebrities <laughs> claiming sex addiction and things like that. It's not, this shit I'm talking about has nothing to do with sex. It has everything to do with love and feeling loved. The desire for the comfort of feeling loved puts me in these predicaments that I cannot control. Puts me in a place where I cannot make the best decision for myself. People-pleasing. It's the same fucking thing that we do talk about in the rooms, but I just, I need help coping with it. I need help dealing with it. I'm turning 40 years old in a couple of months. Emotionally, I feel just as much of a mess as I was the day I walked into treatment, December 23rd, 2014. The same fucking thing. I'm, that's why I just like throw my hands in the air and fucking give up on all of it. This fucking nice guy shit. I used to treat people like shit. When I was fucking drinking heavy and using drugs daily, I treated people like shit and I didn't care. I treated people the way that people treat me today. And it's easy to fall into that pity party bullshit. For the last seven years, I've been doing this recovery shit. I've told myself the story that this is my karma, that I, I have now I have to deal with it because I've treated people so poorly. I deserve to be treated poorly. And every single time it happens, I'm like, okay, this is the last time. My karma has to be caught up by now. It fucking hurts so much. This has to be the end of my karma. And it continues on and continues on and continues on. I'm hoping this SLAA thing can help. The only issues I see with it so far is I don't want to use it as a cop-out because abstinence from substances is not a requirement. You know what I'm saying? They don't care about the substances. They care about the behaviors surrounding love. So am I going to just start going to that and continue to fucking get drunk and all that bullshit, continue to drink and do the fucked up things that ultimately lead me back to immense levels of suffering. And there's obviously it's not as uh, available as traditional AA or NA, meaning there's not meetings every day of the week all over town. I haven't been able to find a face-to-face meeting 
in the region that I live. I've only been able to do these couple of Zoom meetings, and even that's a struggle for me because I'm in the van. I hardly have a Wi-Fi connection. I don't know what to do. I need help. Send me your craziest love stories. I'd love to read them on air and riff on them and joke with you about them because, uh, yeah, I don't know. What do you guys suggest? What do I do? I need help. I'm fucked. I'm fucking emotionally wrecked. I'm I'm a fucking mess right now. For the last two, if it wasn't for that acid trip, I would have fucking been done. I, I was so done leading up to that point. Emotionally done. Just give up on all this bullshit. Give up on all the effort. Why am I trying so hard? Why do I put in so much effort? I feel the same way that I did December 23rd, 2014, walking into that treatment center. Emotionally, I feel the same. I do not feel like I've grown. Yeah, I've got some wisdom. I know what to do. I know what the right thing to do is. However, I do not know how to execute it. Send me your love stories, notgpod at gmail.com. Read them, play them on the air, whatever. Next episode will be, should be, with Brandon. I'm hoping he'll call me here in a few minutes and we'll get this baby recorded. And yeah, that's where we're at. We're fucked. Thanks for listening.